Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Well, welcome to Stories Are Soul Food podcast with Sass. I still run into people who don't know the acronym. It really surprises me. I thought everyone knew the acronym. Then I realized not everyone knows our podcast. <laughs> I, I just, I dispute that. I think everybody knows our podcast. <laughs> Good. Anyways, first opening question is: If you were British, would your book have been called The Conquer King instead of The Chestnut King? No, it would not have been. <laughs> Nate always has a good answer for these <laughs> types of questions. Yeah, no, I think that's American misunderstanding that chestnut is not a word over in England. That's what they think. Right. Well, they do call the the actual big green spiky thing a conquer. Mm. So that's that's not what the book The Chestnut King's about. So no, it would not be the Conquer King. Although they didn't they kind of have helmets, didn't they use those as helmets? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are conquerors. In there's there's the some conquer King. shells around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but no do you have a uh, any chestnut trees on your property are you gonna get some i i need to i do not have any chestnut trees right now i have a whole lot of alder and fir ponderosa so you're staying um, pretty native right now i'm, I'm entirely native at okay. the moment so the only trees that are there uh are trees that were there so far and one apple tree of uh, everything else i've planted has died so let I, that be a lesson <laughs> to non-native plants. Yeah. So I am, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of trees I want to put in the ground, but I actually have to be pretty careful because the landscape in which we live is rich in soil, but high in wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of areas where they're out of the wind, a lot of draws and valleys and goldies, but they're also really uh, damp. So okay, so it's like, like there's just it's, it's every every marshy. single aspect. I've got a lot of land, and every aspect of it is different. There's some very rocky soil. There's some very damp soil. There's some mm. there's clay. There's 13 foot thick topsoil. You know that's just a sponge. Mm. You know, so I have yeah, willow. So even, I have willow too. I've okay. got some native willow. Um, I love some of the native birch and aspen. is is really cool. Yeah. Um, Partial to a birch tree, but they just they just get cleared out by those beetles. The beetles come through, and the death comes. <laughs> the death, the death comes. <laughs> the birch for sure. no longer exists. The alder dies really fast. Also, okay, you know, it grows fast, dies fast, yeah. and it's like every single year down by our creek is surrounded by alder. I'd, I'd have to clear it out of all the new fall, all the new like. Yeah, we have a couple like of aspens. full trunks coming down. It just yeah, the aspens are getting destroyed by the winter. They're just weak. Yep. So there's a, there's a bunch of trees I want to bring in. Uh, I have a friend who planted a California redwood up here that was not supposed to do well and just took off and is amazing and big now already. Because mm. those can live to be, talk about generational. Yeah. So <laughs> discovering that that can happen, I need to kind of match the soil and find my spots. Like where could I put redwoods? I also really love the eucalyptus in California. Oh, okay. I think it's pretty awesome. Awesome. Not uh, native, only, not uh, native to California. Australian. Yep. And re- just cool only trees. seen them at the zoo, I guess. Just very, very cool trees. So, but we have plenty of native trees that are cool also, and I need to get a lot of them in the ground, hopefully this fall. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was, my uncle from Texas was telling us all about the big, 
you know, his friend has a, a giraffe on his property. And I was thinking, I don't know that we can get <laughs> giraffes up here, but we could certainly get some non-native plants. In the soil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we might not be able to get a giraffe, but we can sure get a non-native plant. <laughs> That's a, and that and is that, the theme of this episode. What are, we, what are we talking about today, Brian? Nothing, nothing too interesting except for uh, basically I wanted to pick, pick your brain on, this is a little bit obscure, but it's short film topic ideas versus short stories and okay. pick some questions on some short story ideas. Um, and here specifically, we, have, we had a, a young amateur filmmaker write in who's struggling. Actually, I don't know that they're young. I should just take that back if you're listening. You might be old and struggling for good short film ideas. Um, this is actually reminding me of somebody I haven't sent an email to in a long time that I probably owe a response to. We can just so continue. And- I'm going to send this email while you, while you keep talking. Well, perfect. Yeah, so the question is, uh, this, this person writes in, I can only come up with feature-length story concept, but nothing that fits in a short... Oh, I'm sorry. I guess it's the opposite idea struggling so they they think they're coming up with feature length story concepts but nothing that fits in a short 10 to 15 page script so do you have favorite short story slash film and then i think we we're i had some uh, short story ideas i guess what do you what do you think about the genre are they the same is it pretty short- similar i mean i would love i think short stories can actually be feature films okay um, the sh- short fiction can adapt to a feature film pretty easily yeah um, but it depends on the story. So Shawshank Redemption being an example. Uh, was that a, was that a short first short story first? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't Stephen know that. King. Oh, I didn't know that. All right. Yeah. It's so, I I look at some Flannery O'Connor and I'm like, most of those are kind of short films because of the nature of her time frame, her timeline. Mm. And, but could you take good country people and make a feature around those characters. Yeah, 100% you could. It wouldn't be the short story. You'd be inspired by the characters in a short story. You'd be building it, building it out. But the arc and architecture of a short story is not necessarily usually a full three act. And novels usually are more than, you know, Mm -hmm. they're three act plus. And so neither of them quite perfectly become films. Most short stories, I would say, probably become short short films better than full feature films. God, doesn't it seem like the short story really relies upon that element of surprise? And that's why you get so many short stories that are about death. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I haven't read a ton of short stories in a long time. So there's, you know, I used to read them pretty regularly and... I mean, it might be worth talking about Flannery. I just finished her uh, yeah. Everything That Rises Must Converge mm-hmm. collection. And I think, uh, you know, more than half are death or some or are Dark death related. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, it, and it, it does seem to me that even secular folks writing short stories also default. Well, actually, to be honest, it's either sexuality or violence when I've been forced to read those short story collections. Or thundering boredom. Yeah. Yeah, just like musing Which about is just psychology. A, it's yeah, yeah but it, it's also that's it's it's weird to say, but I think that there's a, a kind of like living death that they play with, just the life as death. You know, they try that basic inversion of just oh, yellow wallpaper style. Yeah, just the mundanity of it all. You know, just this is just yeah. the worst. It's so boring. <laughs> yeah, I was. Assigned, there is no hope. Nothing good could ever come. I was forced to read a microfiction collection once. You okay. know, which is like the whatever 75 to 300 word stories yeah and 
I mean, they're universally bad. Um, I don't, not that it couldn't be done well, but I just, everybody had to do either sudden violence or, uh, yeah, I mean, sudden violence was pretty much it, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, okay. So what, <laughs> I love short stories. Uh, I do love them. I love to think of them. I rarely write them now because I just, there's not my, so much bang for my the buck. time. Yeah. My, I would just say my time, if I was going to write something, if I'm working in fiction, it's on something I need to complete. It's on silent bells. Uh, it's on a script I have due or something like that. So I don't have any short fiction due to anybody. There's nobody, nobody's writing me checks to be like, hey, I need a short story. I mean, isn't you know? that universally true? Yeah. They, they, <laughs> yes. they do not pay for short no. stories anymore. Um, I have a short story that I is one of my favorite uh, ever. And I've never, I, it needs a rewrite and I've wanted to finish it. It's not in a, in a final draft and there's just no reason to finish it. There's just no reason to go back around. Isn't to that? It. Isn't that? I think I'm stealing from Walter Kern here uh, when he said, "You know, a genre's dead when it's only written by the people who write it, or only read by the people who write it." Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's Walter, but it sounds like Walter. Yeah. Um, and so, short stories are only written by people in MFA programs who are trying to write yeah. short stories. Yeah. Which is nobody's out buying short story collections except for aspiring editors and writers. That's sad. And, but. And not all of us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when some, when a short story really hits, it's amazing. It, That's it, true. So it's it's kind of like a you know a shot of whiskey or something. You have the ability to do something very small, concentrated, and potent, just powerful, uh, as opposed to you know big, long, spread out potlucks of narrative. Sure. Okay. So you you think a short story that is that single taste or perhaps a chord. It just yeah. hits those two notes at the same time that work and you weren't expecting. <laughs> so have, have we not, have we really not talked about Flannery O'Connor on this podcast? Um, no. I think we've touched on her, but we've That's never That's a gone disgrace. Deep. We've just- It's she, disgraceful. She's such in the fabric of everything that, that I think we talk about. We've mentioned her. She really is. I mean, it's one, she's one of those like unsighted headwaters. Right. Uh, she's a genius. Her novels- not great. Yeah. Her I, short story. Just sprawling. Short stories. Phenomenal. Like really, she does acts of genius. This is a little, a little personal anecdote. You recommended Flannery O'Connor when I was in elementary school or high school or something like that. Like I heard. Jeepers. What was I thinking if you, you were in elementary school? No, no. I just heard you recommending them. Okay. Pursued them. Hated it. Right. As a good, junior high good. kid. And was like, I don't like this taste. It might even have been later. I should have known better. I remember thinking later. But I've now returned to them. And they're just such an excellent And suddenly, thing. <laughs> you like coffee yeah. because you're grown because you're up. you're a grown up. You're a grown but, up. But so, that, the taste of coffee actually doesn't bother you yeah. at all. Uh, it, it really was. I think it must have been high school. I shouldn't have said elementary. Makes you sound like you're recommending When Brian Cole was in suicide. preschool. I, I made him sit down with a good man is hard to find. <laughs> he was like, and I don't like this. <laughs> he was like, why is this happening? But there are many adults who are in the same situation as me who read Flannery and think, what the heck was that? Because what, eight out of 12 stories end with a heart attack? Or okay, but, but or here's the thing. I stroke mean, or suicide. Okay, so let's, let's, let's really dive in on Flannery O'Connor. Let's, let's do it. Um, if I'd known we were going to do the Flannery O'Connor episode, I would have done a full on survey of, of my favorite works of her short fiction yeah. to prepare. But instead, this is going to be a purely off the cuff. We're just running into each other on the street talking about Flannery O'Connor yeah. podcast, which is after all, 
all of our podcasts. <laughs> um, we, we don't want we don't want to insult our listeners with preparation. <laughs> um, uh, so, <laughs> Flannery O'Connor, I had read a little bit, and just kind of glimpse, you know, little little pieces. And this is some of this is autobiographical here, but I've known and people have heard me talk about this before. So forgive me if it's if it's redundant. But I knew from sixth grade on that I wanted to write. I was going to be a writer. Like many males before me, I made no effort whatsoever to make that come to pass. I just existed. And I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And I read, you know, I read, but I, and I read the stuff I loved, but I didn't try to write. Uh, I tried once in eighth grade. My grandfather told me it sucked. It was terrible. Um, it was. <laughs> but I still remember specific phrases and descriptions from this piece of short fiction I wrote in eighth grade that I was particularly pleased by, none of which are good. Uh, high school, I ended up having to start, start writing some short pieces. Didn't attempt anything like a novel. It was all creative nonfiction, these scenes, snapshots, montages, you know, just real little pieces of things that I'd glimpsed, some of which I constructed into bigger things, bigger meaning a couple thousand words, some of which were just 800 words, 1,000 words, small vignettes, mm -hmm. tons and tons of vignettes trying to capture the real, trying to capture characters and all this kind of stuff. I read my first Flannery O'Connor somewhere in there and was not particularly affected. It was kind of like, eh, okay. You know, I wonder why people talk so much about her. In college, I uh, read a little bit more because uh, Doug Jones back then uh, one of my teachers and was an editor at Canon was hugely influential in, in my life and like in, in pushing, uh, mm -hmm. a certain kind of voice, a certain kind of style, uh, and really trying to write concrete visceral prose. And he, he pushed me towards some O'Connor, which I read. Um, uh, and it, again, was sort of like, oh, that was funny. And I was, I was male and adolescent enough to enjoy the shock of it yeah you know it was like ha 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 that's so funny right in grad school uh at st john's in maryland i ended up taking a course one one class it was entirely flannery o'connor and just did oh, wow. like just a deep dive uh with professor townsend at, at st john's in annapolis and it was phenomenal like it was a really incredible uh incredible class probably one of the most potent classes of my graduate school career um and processing these stories like reading one short story and coming to a two-hour seminar where we're we're like really exploring what's going on so that can be either really good or really bad it's gonna go well <laughs> it's gonna go really terribly and and it went really really well he was a phenomenal uh, professor, I remember one of my classmates lashing out and said, why do we have to keep talking about the Bible and the apostle Paul and Christianity? Like, it'd be just as easy for us to, uh, be reading all of these short stories through the lens of Hinduism or something like that. And prof this professor, professor Townsend turned to her and said, well, I, I do apologize. Uh, if you're not familiar with the source material and you can't keep up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, O'Connor was a Christian. 
She was writing from a Christian perspective, and her short fiction is laced, especially with huge influence from the Old Testament, and just moved on. So feel free to try to get up to speed on your own time, is basically what he said, which was amazing. Uh, reading her short fiction, for me, was a big exploration of the nature of framing a story, how to frame a story, where does the story exist? So my, my sister on the phone today told me uh, a story and she told me a story about her, she and her husband are up in the mountains in you know, California at a family camp. My brother-in-law is not, uh, he's one of those guys who goes into a deep sleep. He's, you're not going to hear him yelling in the night. I've got some sleep talkers in my family. He's not one of those. In the middle of the night, he yelled, he shrieked apparently and flailed and hit my sister and she woke up. And everybody then faded and went back to sleep. And my sister was like, oh, that was like kind of embarrassing. Other people were sleeping in this adjacent room in this cabin and thought it was funny. Then the next day they wake up and she's, and they'd just been in Zambia. And he tells her, it's like, man, I had this, the most vivid dream I've had in a really long time of that monkey that we saw in Zambia trying to come through our window down onto the bed. <laughs> it was like this monkey was crawling in the window down onto the bed. Okay. Ha ha. Weird dream story. They get up, they get ready, they head out and they walk into all this disarray next door where a bear has broken into the cabin adjacent to them and eaten all the snacks. Uh, they, <laughs> for, for this family camp world or many of the snacks, it's a bear. So probably all, but, uh, my sister said they, they were kind of struck that this had happened, that he'd had this vivid dream and they went back to their cabin and they had opened the window directly above their bed before they went to sleep. And sure enough, the screen had been just pulled aside. So most likely there was a bear climbing through this window onto my sister's bed. And my brother-in-law knew what to do with the dreams. Bear. It screams that there's a monkey coming on them and like flails and the bear left. It's like, whoa. <laughs> okay. So that's a story, right? Yeah. There's a story. What's the story? The story is the setting what's the what's the finale what's the final flavor is it the discovery that actually there had been a bear climbing onto their bed and then my brother-in-law had yelled and flailed and the bear had gone next door to eat all the snacks had it eaten the snacks before had it like what's the how do you arrange this and how do i open where do i open what's the theme where do i close and then if i'm writing fiction what am i doing with the characters am i just telling you a scene yeah. or am i actually gonna dive in and create two people and they have a little bit of weird friction and there's, I, I find some ironies in, you know, in the nature of men and women and his need to protect. And like, uh, do I, do I play with themes of protection and abdication? How do I, what do I do? How do I take this incident and then lace it with themes and uh, truths uh, about reality and then try to structure it, create the frame. And where is it, where does it end? Where does it, where does it start? What, O'Connor did for me was was maybe realize that if I were going to jump into the New Testament and try to tell a Flannery O'Connor story, it would be about the Apostle Paul, mm. and it would actually be about the Apostle Paul. A few there's a few different places where it would be about the Apostle Paul, but a big O'Connor frame would be on his conversion, and the fact that he is this wound tight Pharisee so convinced of his own righteousness that he'll commit murder over his you know his own out of his own righteousness and 
does commit a murder actually is involved in betraying this righteous man and getting a lynch mob to lynch him. So in an O'Connor story, imagine, you know, this self-righteous white Southerner, yeah. you know, getting a lynch mob to, to lynch this, this black pastor, you know, who's, who is shining like Stephen while they murder him. Mm-hmm. And then as he's riding away, because there's somebody else he wants to murder, he is struck. You know, he's knocked off his, his donkey and yeah. ends up blind on his back in the road. That's an O'Connor frame. Yeah. The O'Connor frame ends at this moment of just violent conversion, violent yeah, the dark, grace. The dark grace. The dark grace. And so, yeah. if you framed it, if you framed this Apostle Paul story at him blind and senseless in the road, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then trying to stand up and not being able to see, you know, like, that's where she stops. She tells these vignettes and she grabs that. Yeah. Um, the shipwreck would be another one, you know, being bit by the snake. There's, there's the different pieces that she would, she would frame these things differently. Um, and I, I think it's really powerful. It's really potent when she does that. And it just, it's that strong flavor. You're pulling out really dark chocolate. It's a really, yeah. really potent flavor. You read the short story. And what is she saying when the Bible salesman steals the prosthetic limb from Holga? Right. You know. Why was Holga's previous name Joy and she changed it to Holga? And there's all this, yeah, there's all this stuff to unpack. And she always inserts this violent grace, you know, a dark grace, a heavy grace mm-hmm. into the situation. And so, um, yeah, when I was looking at, when I was reading Everything That Rises, all that must converge, it's a story about a lot of, they all involve classes in some way, all the classes in the South and the hierarchies yep. of, uh, the exact white Pharisee character you're talking about is in Revelation, I think, yep. where that that she's sitting in the doctor's office and looking at all the people and hating them all as she waits. Yep. Except for this one woman, but then this one woman's daughter ends up just insulting her and attacking her. Go create goes crazy and like tries to to kill her. And that moment is basically a revelation moment for this woman as she has a vision of all everybody this, going to heaven, everyone going to heaven ahead of her. Yep. And she's and her whole and her whole vision has been, God, I am the best that I could be. And if you were to make me, you know, I'd yep. rather be made black before I'd be made white trash. And then she gets attacked by white trash, you know, like and that's yep. kind of the moment in her her story. Yep. And she's constantly uh sorting everybody into yeah. would you rather would you rather framework. And then and then the Flannery O'Connor story really revolves around the displacement when you have that initial displacement that something happens that it shouldn't have happened in a normal world or perhaps that wouldn't yeah and then as that resolves sometimes it it takes violence to resolve and then other times it's a mental shift that resolves but and so for, for a lot of characters well for almost all characters it takes moments of extreme drama and emotional hardship if not physical hardship yeah for them to get put on the right path. Yeah. So I, I think about the, you know, sort of some sweet character who everybody loves and she thinks her biggest struggle is her own little insecurities of not feeling, you know, strong enough or powerful enough or good enough. She doesn't feel sufficient, but she also feels like she's pretty sufficient. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you know, it's, yeah. like it's, it's a little bubblegum. Um, and every, but everybody loves her. And then she has a, you know, a moment of, 
uh, you know, it, like she rear ends somebody at a, you know, at a stop sign. You right. tell that story in this moment of humiliation and you find out that no, it's a hundred percent your fault. Everything was, it was all your fault. All of it yeah. was your fault. There was no one else to blame here, but you, there are no excuses. There's nothing you can grasp at. And everything else that's an excuse, you can blame this, you can blame that, you can blame the other thing. All these things that you've used to bounce through life unscathed and just be exactly who you want to be for yourself. Mm -hmm. Just all come tumbling down in this one moment of humiliation. And you get scathed. You get scathed. <laughs> and, uh, and then the transformation that happens when people encounter uh, their last ditch, when people are embarrassed, when people do experience shame, when they do experience hardship. When they real when they hit something hard enough that they can't just resolve not to resolve to get through it, yeah, merely resolving to get through it, you know, won't won't get you anywhere. Um, and it's it is it's really interesting because if you talk to people who are great characters, really great characters, and they have they know what they're doing, they're living well. They're, Do you mean great meaning? virtuous or i mean great like interesting in both okay. i mean like they're just great characters so this okay. is, this is a person you, it's easy to admire okay. and respect but they are not absent of quirk i'm not i'm not talking about vanilla characters i'm talking about a character you meet where it's like man this is a salty salty character but actually really admirable i can really respect mm -hmm. and admire this person it's easy to see this particular grandmother who's a real piece of work in many hilarious ways as just a phenomenal influence of grace in, in the generations behind her in their lives. If you find these characters who are in their 70s, you know, a little older, a little younger, and you dive in, uh, you, you try to dive into their lives and find those moments of massive transformation when they, when they were put on the track that has led them to this place. So you can, you can backtrack it. You're here, you're this guy. When did you become this guy? And you, you start backing it up and you back it up and back it up. You're going to find some pretty intense moments of shame, humiliation, mm. tragedy, yeah. of com the complete failure of self-reliance. You know, you're going you're to find these places where people encountered the divine and were just uh, smacked down. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. just, just got smacked in one way or the other. And it could be you know, via alcohol, it could be the loss of a family member. It could be the destruction of a first marriage. You know, yeah. just some, some, you like, just something got rattled big time. Yeah. And you couldn't just sail on through. Yep. Mm. You know, and, and it's, you, you can't just continue being like something big enough that. That's what you mean by what, dark grace. It's yeah. that moment where you transformation, it's have, transformative. Have to yeah. resolve this broken bone. Like there's yep. like, there's something. There's no just going forward, you right. know, with, without any kind of thought. Okay. So one of a favorite. And that basically that's what she does in her short okay. fiction. Like it always ends with that, that moment. And then she cuts and leaves. Yeah. And so that's, that's that moment. I think the best characters we have in our lives all have that moment. They okay. all do. So with Parker's back, you know, that classic one, do you remember that one? It's about his, uh, he's the sailor who has tattoos all over. Okay. And, and. Yeah. And marries an ugly woman because he won't sleep with her or she won't sleep with him. And so he's like, you're the one I'm going to marry. And then, but she hates him and doesn't like his tattoos. So he goes and gets a, like a huge tattoo of Christ on his back that he can't even see. It's why it's called Parker's back. And then comes home because she's, she's a Christian 
he knows that he's like, this time I got you because I got yeah. Jesus, Jesus on my back. But he gets messed up by that tattoo, like that on the way home. And he's he comes home thinking he's going to just, you know, he's like, I've been changed. And he shows her and she's like completely unimpressed and then says, that's not Jesus and beats him up with a broom. And that's the, yep. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> yep. the end of Parker's back. But that one's interesting to me because it's from the <laughs> other perspective, like that yep. moment of uh, uh, it has multiple. You think this is the dark grace, like, oh, he's about to be converted because he got a Jesus tattoo, like a very Byzantine, sad. And thing. instead he gets a beating. And instead he yep. gets a beating, yeah. <laughs> and the answer is both are true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. and, both uh, are true. I love it too because the tattoo artist is like, you sure you want this one? This is a weird one. You know, like you don't want this big Byzantine Christ on your back. And, 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 and that moment of using that lens to tell not – she tells a conversion story like nobody else because anybody else heading into some sort of sailor with tattoos who's married to a Christian, you can almost see that being set up to be a very boring story yep um although th some of those happen and the, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, the boring one happens but this one uh you just kind of end up being displaced yourself you finish the story not quite sure how to feel about anything it's like wait what's yeah it's like <laughs> what happened and she loves ending before she's answered that question yeah so she's not trying to tie it in a bow She's ending at the incident. It's like right. she's ending at an inciting incident for another narrative. Yeah. There's this inciting incident that would provoke, you know, more. So, again, Apostle Paul gets knocked off his donkey. We all know that's an inciting incident that takes him. Yeah. You know, takes him into who he becomes. But it's also the final scene of the Stephen narrative. Okay. So, if you, yeah. if you frame the, the murder of Stephen, Paul knocked off his donkey is... Uh, is part of that story and uh i think it's what happens on the last page of that story if you're if you're framing it that way um, so, and so what she does like in that incident she's not telling you but what happens to them for the rest of their lives and it's like well i'm not telling you but this is this is the moment this is that moment that actually uh like does a little track switch like you've thrown the lever the tracks have changed Things are going in a different direction now. So transformative, frequently violent, like unpleasant grace. Yeah. Dark grace has been has been brought in. So when the woman named Joy uh changes her name to Holga and stomps around on her prosthetic leg and could walk more quietly, but doesn't, is like in, <laughs> intentionally thumping around to satin her mother and she wants to study philosophy. And yeah. then a simple Bible salesman comes to the house to sell Bibles. And she thinks really, and this is one of the beauties of O'Connor is like people's delusion about themselves. Yeah. She thinks that she's going to seduce and destroy him. This Bible salesman. Yeah. yeah this innocent rube. And there's all this classism. She is intelligent. She is sophisticated. She is going to destroy his soul. She's going to seduce him and devour him and destroy him. Uh, because he's this, you know, ridiculous guy. In the end, they get up in a hayloft, which is a funny place to take a woman with a prosthetic leg. They get up in the hayloft. He takes off her prosthetic leg, steals it, and leaves her. <laughs> Has no interest in her whatsoever. That the the desire to seduce and destroy has been going both directions. He steals her leg, leaves her in the hayloft. 
Yeah. Says, I got a girl's glass eye this way once and then leaves. Doesn't he say, uh, she <laughs> says, you know, talks to him about a nihilist, being a nihilist. And then at the end he says, I've been a nihilist forever or something yeah. like that. I can't remember the dialogue because yep. that's the other I've been a nihilist my whole life or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that is, a, it's like you could rename that the salvation of Holka uh, where she's, yeah. she's just been made a fool of and, and thrown away and she's humiliated and stuck in a hayloft as he steals her leg and leaves. The Bible salesman turns out was an absolute scoundrel. <laughs> and But Flannery pursues those characters ruthlessly. Like yeah. that's what she loved is just yep. looking around, yep. you know, that Southern Catholic South and just capturing all these people in a row. Yep. I, I love the failed. She has a ton of failed students coming back home, which in some sense, I think she probably felt like she was because she got yeah. sick and couldn't finish her education. Yep. And, but she, the artificial chills, another one where this guy comes home, convinced he's going to die and his mom's going to find his tortured artist manifesto. And so he's convinced he's going to die, but there's a crack on the ceiling that ends up basically being like a, the Holy Ghost that comes down and yeah. like converts him when he can't get away because he's sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that sort of moment where he's like, thought he was going to die, turns out he has some tiny sickness that he got because he was trying to get his mom's servants to disobey. I don't know. Very good stuff. It's just all of them, all of them all are like a well-woven, every piece comes together and delivers. Yeah, it's and a lot of people slot her in sort of a southern gothic place, or that she's she writes these like human horror, human horror stories. Yeah, like it's really not. She really doesn't. And there's it's not to say she doesn't ever get there. She does, and especially in the novel length stuff, she does more so. But she she and I would disagree about the gospel. She and I would disagree about long term sanctification. You know, if we if we had theological conversations, naturally, she's Catholic and I'm Protestant. But when she gets to the that moment of startling grace, that mo moment of rebuke, that that smack that just wakes a character up, I think she gets to it in such an unexpected and inevitably human way, over and over and over again. Right. And all of this we got here because we were talking about short fiction and, and feature films. Most of them would never work as a feature film. You know, they're not that kind of. Short story. Just, just meaning because it's not elevating. It's not trying to bring a character from from here to there. Over there's not a th there's not a three act structure over long term. Um, I'm scrolling through her short fiction in my head. There might be some that should and could be. Um, why did you say a Why did you say a, a good man is hard to find? Would maybe be able to do it, or uh, I guess as, if we're if we're talking about that one, that one's familiar to a lot of people. Yeah. You know that story of family on a road trip. Cat, uh, pulled off the road, their car stolen. Yeah, uh, grouchy grandma. The the reason why you could, I'm I'm thinking think in terms of art house indie films. Yeah, if you're going to make very small focus features, yeah. but but even then you would be expand. You'd be grabbing characters and worlds and expanding way beyond what the short story does. So the 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 Charles Portis is another one who's written short stuff that becomes. You're just saying a road trip where you get shot at the end is not. A feature film normally normally <laughs> yeah. so if you're gonna make it could a feature it be film, a feature film could it be a good feature film yes it but would you just gotta be, just really do be, you be, have to need, have stuff yeah. happen along the yeah road it would need yeah. to be and you need more prior to it you need more setup you need you know there's there's a lot more necessary but it's it's such a famous one because of the finale the payoff of the finale yeah but also it's it's also interesting because she doesn't tend to do really heightened situations 
She yeah. likes using a a girl, a failed student who's back home and has lost her leg and made her name ugly because she feels ugly. She's not Joy anymore. She's Holga. And and of course, Flannery relates with that character. She relates to that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're when you're dealing with a uh, good man's hard to find, you have an outlaw. Yeah, the misfit. You've got a murdering outlaw. You've got a more heightened yeah. situation. Much so, more dramatic than you yeah, feel. Yeah, so in but- terms of like, okay, so if you take him and you take her, the grandmother, and you take the world and you're going to put them together, could that be a Coen Brothers movie? And the answer is, yeah, it could. Mm-hmm. But it would be significantly expanded and explored in different ways. Um, and you'd have to take a position on things in the story that that O'Connor does not, but that she intentionally does not. Yeah, so the relationship of the you know, the the grandmother's the protagonist of that story. She's yep. the one that needs the moment of grace. Yep. And then you've got her son and her daughter and then the grandkids as well, or her son and her daughter-in-law and then the grandkids. You Do you think it would be the situation where we need to know what they're doing and where they're going? I'm just really making you flush no. this out into a feature film, right? So, <laughs> so but, but part of it is that one, especially there's a lot of arguments about the ending. Yeah. And, you know, when she sees, she finally breaks and she sees him as her child yeah the misfit yeah Yeah. and this this outlaw and the question is is he actually right is this her son that she threw away from a long time ago does this woman actually end up murdered by her own child who whom she discarded or is he just a a type is she entering into some form of sainthood and reaching out to him as a child because i guess the murder does feel kind of arbitrary in that sense, unless he's just stealing a car, just yeah. a carjacking. So, yep. you, so you're saying you could supply some meaning to that. So if if you were like, oh, I've got to do I with an outlaw, a self righteous old woman who's having to live with her family, a road trip, and the whole thing catastrophically goes bad until the grandmother ends up executed by this outlaw. Why do they have a connection? Why does this matter? How's it coming? If you're going to actually develop it, you go that direction. Yeah, they have an actual familial connection. Right. It's a, you know, it's a matricide. She's such a fair or Pharisee is because she. Yeah. It's because she actually has a past that she's ignoring. And yeah. Uh, So like that you can, you can make a movie, like you could make that into a movie, but it's definitely a like focus features. It's definitely a little art house thing. Yeah. You're definitely, you a 24 would do it. uh, You know, and you're, and you're taking it to festivals. You're not trying to make, you know, you're not trying to make something that's a big, broadly helpful film. That one feels a lot more like you're taking a Hemingway take on it, where he has that that lie of his that he says that all of his stories have 80% under the surface. They're all icebergs, you know, where there's yeah. always a hidden detail yeah. that could have changed the whole thing. I don't believe that. Now, there's a few of them that do. No, he gets to say that. <laughs> no, it's always, everything yeah. I do is mysterious and wonderful. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and he he's always able to come in afterwards and say, oh yeah, at the end of that story, the main character went and shot himself, you know. And you can always say like, well... No, he didn't because you didn't write that. <laughs> that wasn't set up. You can come back later and say that. I mean, you can come back later and do that, Ernest. But, right. Yeah. yeah. But it's uh, it's not there. It is interesting to compare those because like another short story that ends with similar violence that I like is Hemingway's Short Happy Life of Francis Macomer, you know, right. which is an incredible drama piece. But again. I don't remember the last time I've read that. It's probably been 25 years. That one just I think is a pretty fun characters you know uh, it's hemingway's classic must tell story of the young man whose wife hates him and they go 
off to have the old noble hunter take them on a hunting trip yep, and then yep, ends up yeah okay yeah ends up with his wife well yeah <laughs> you should read it you should read it well <laughs> but that that story right there and then the surprise ending on top of all that makes it um why do you think short fiction has died mm. is it tv and film I think, yeah, we don't have we a have, place where we consume it. So we have the ability to consume narrative that takes 22 minutes, 44 minutes, or 80 minutes to two hours, or in the case of Dune, two and a half. You know, like we have- <laughs> Far too long. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have slotted, we, we've used up our space for short narrative consumption. Yep. You know, like it's- uh, to, And you, you gave the best possible interpretation. The worst is that we're flicking through reels for the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're on the doom scroll yeah <laughs> the short story has been replaced by this motion so. and if only you learned to post like 37 uh reels that all built on each other now that and it's like the new, like, the new at the end it ends the new with short death. fiction <laughs> the new short fiction is a doom scroll <laughs> where people are just <laughs> scrolling and scrolling but yeah that actually probably is the case you yeah. know and because uh, I, I, in talking to people in Hollywood and uh, executives there, one of the things they're trying to solve for is the doom scroll. Like, how do we get people back into long form consumption? Meaning, how do we get them to watch half an hour of television? Because it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. In, in the adolescent demographics. Well, okay. The fact that that's too much commitment. <laughs> It's Stafford. A little uh, striking. Rams QB, right? Stafford just got in the news because he was saying, he can't connect with his young teammate teams because after practice, everybody's on their phone. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm trying to think of when I read short stories and it was Credenda or, yeah. you know, occasionally Harper's or I'd find, you know, that's where I read short stories. I, uh, yeah. And they're gone. Like those, yeah. those are, those are all dead. Things are, things are dead. And if only they were still here, then. Uh, NFL players would be reading them after practice and not doom scrolling. <laughs> yeah, that, that that little segue didn't connect, yeah. <laughs> but it was but, interesting. To but me. it is well. I, I may have. I don't know if I mentioned this or not. My my son was on a uh, a travel team, a basketball travel team, this summer. It's something I did when I was sixteen, and a different, totally different program. But he was he was on this uh, travel team, and you know I was familiar with what he was going to be faced with. Right. So he's going to be off with a bunch of guys his age, you know, traveling around the West in these basketball tournaments. And I, and I'd done, I knew exactly what he was going to be up against. So we talked a lot about like preparing for it and being ready and, you know, just. You mean like shenanigans or disobedience? Yeah. You know, just, yeah, but just in terms of uh, how to carry himself, how to be, how to relate to guys, but also how to, uh, you know, be a, an influence for good and not for evil. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, if if just sinners, the, the basics. If so. sinners entice thee. <laughs> so if you're on a if you're on a basketball team and you're away from your parents and so is everybody else. Yeah. You know, so a bunch of sixteen year olds, and these were sixteen year olds, uh, among other places in Vegas. Oh wow. So like we're going to the worst place. Um, it was amazing because. The first time I checked in with them, I was like, so, you know, how's it gone? How's it gone so far? Tell me about your teammates. What's going on? Who's causing problems? Like, who's the, who's the ringleader, you know, in terms of guys sneaking out? all that Because the idea that there would not be one 
that guys would not be sneaking out did not even occur to me. It did not occur to me that it would be possible to take a bunch of athletic, aggressive teenage boys, you know, around the West and not have that happen. Um, the, he, he told me, he's like, they're all just on their phones. Oof. Um, that's it. They're just, everybody's in their rooms, on their beds, scrolling. Yikes. Every day. You know. So there's no ringleader. And there's so no- he was, so yeah, he was the ringleader. Um, <laughs> you know, they were gone for the 4th of July. He was like, we got to, come on, we got to get fireworks. We got to go. You know, he was out finding barbecue by himself. You know, it's, you know, it is like just trying to, and, and it, it was, it was a good experience for him in the end, but it was really striking when they were in Vegas, the NBA summer league was there. And so he spent a lot of time on, in their downtime watching NBA games and guys would come for that. But he's like, even then the guys would stay, stay back, aspiring young basketball players, like passing on an opportunity to, to watch NBA players, to watch NBA players from up close, uh, just scrolling on their hotel room beds. Mm. And it's bizarre. The, the sedative we've plugged into uh, adolescence has been pretty incredible. So it's, it's really quite strikingly strange. And a friend of mine is a coach. Uh, it does a bunch of travel baseball and he, he took a, a big team um, to a, an away tournament and did the same thing. He was all, cause he remembers, you know, back in the day, and he was all ready to like be heavily Mr. Chaperone, lock it down. And the same thing. He's like, everybody didn't have a single incident because everybody was on their phones the whole time. And then it'd be, hey, it's time to go. And you could get them, put it down, and we all go. But as soon as you have downtime, when there's actually going to be a problem, they're all just on the IV drip of the sedative. And it's really weird because it's not like I'm yearning for the days when teenage boys Would were break out in jumping Vegas out of and, windows in yeah. Vegas and, you know, off getting into all sorts of trouble. Um, but that is the fruit of testosterone. It does, it does, but it, it's like a necessary downside of what happens when you have a large population of men that you're raising. Some of them will be very badly behaved. And if they're men and they have testosterone levels, they're going to be badly behaved in certain ways. And it's not good, but this is just a sign that it's so heavily numbed right now that it's going to be, it's going to be wild. You're just saying we don't, we aren't, we aren't correcting for that right now. So the next time your kid's doom scrolling, uh, get out some Flannery O'Connor and read them a short story that will melt their face. And they'll be like, mom, mom, and don't skip any of the words. (laughs) Don't skip any of the hard stuff. Yeah. And just, just, you know, let's go through let's go through this uh, story together. Yeah, and read read to them aloud, and 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 ready, read, be ready to answer some questions and shock and awe. It does seem like it's important though to start with some short stories, like obvious. Oh, Henry's a basic one, a very friendly. <sighs> no, Oh, Henry's great. <laughs> oh, Henry's great. Ransom of Red Chief. The first time you read that one, I just. He's not, it's not that he's not great, but there's still a heavy sigh for me with O'Henry. You've just uh, heard The oh, Gift of the Magi uh, too, too many, many too times. times. Way <laughs> and too, that's why I didn't start with The way, Gift of the Magi. Way too many times. But O'Henry is the gimmick guy. Like, hey, yeah. let's, have the, let's have the gimmick. Let's, yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact is that 
the most important thing, this goes for everything. The most important thing you do with your kids is not let them doom scroll. Let me just make them exist in the real world, but then provide them with lots of good and interesting fiction. Some of which is shocking. I remember there, there are some moments and I've done this with my own kids where they're kind of like, they're a little restless and, and, you know, trying to read stuff and finding a book. And when you hand a a 15 year old or a 16 year old, uh, some Raymond Chandler, some PD James, it's a little, it's a little shocking. You hand, yeah. him, you hand him Flannery O'Connor, or and, this, there, and yeah. there's like, whoa, am I allowed to read this? Is this the sci-fi world's great for that? That's what yeah. I, I, Arthur C. Clarke, get your kids on some of those scary sci-fi that is yeah. actually giving them tools for understanding how technology works. Those yeah. ones are, those ones are great. And all, but, but handing them a little more protein, a little more grist, and and some of those coffee flavors yeah. as they age. <laughs> you know, handing them some of the things that are gonna, it's gonna provoke them to grow. It's gonna provoke them to engage. Yeah. Um, but do whatever you can to to not have their uh, world and their their narrative sense just curated by reels, you yeah. know, by TikTok videos and reels, which is just tragic. I remember reading about Ray Bradbury. Uh, he, I think he wrote fifty two short stories a year every year for his entire adult life. Like he just and it I should just, I should just do that from now on. I mean, you could. This seems but easily resolved. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it kind of ruined most of his longer prose, though, because you get it's like eating frosting. It's just, it's just like he's spent so long on. Okay, every never, line. never mind. I guess I won't. <laughs> I guess I won't do that. <laughs> yeah. One a week forever is a right. bit much. Nah, doesn't that seem like a lot? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it certainly really disciplined, but uh, I mean, he's got some. He's that's, got some real good ones there. That's crazy times. Yeah. So short fiction. There are things I still love about it, and it's unique. I, some of my favorite stuff I've ever written is in short fiction. And some of the stuff I want to write more than anything else just for personal pleasure is in short fiction. Uh, but yeah, there's not... It's yeah, not there. It's not. There's not a thing for it. Yep. Uh, I was reminded of that because the only time Anthony Doerr could get his short fiction published is after he'd had a massive runaway bestseller. Pulitzer Prize winner. Pulitzer Prize winner. <laughs> They're like, fine, we'll publish your short fiction. And fine, <laughs> and that was funny to me. Yeah. The, the, Are you going to be publishing any anthologies of short fiction here, Brian? Well, I think you know we're, we're already working on poetry, so I think we're already in another dead genre. So we are in the graveyard already. Yep. So we may as well. So we may as well dig up keep a different on grave. robbing <laughs> graves. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great business plan. Yep. So the answer is no. Um, you're going to have to find Nate's short fiction. There's one. Know. There's one that I need to. I need to rewrite. I think you've mentioned that one before. Yeah, and it's someday. Yeah, someday it's gonna it's you gonna happen. Think the rise and fall of oh rise and fall of circumcision is that not the one? No. Oh, I there's one called Gay Dog. <laughs> okay, I haven't found that one. So I really, I mean, conversations with Todd, I wrote and published in a in a literary anthology, and I liked it a lot. And it was my hat tip to O'Connor. Okay. Um, and just the pettiness, the weirdness of of how you insert violence the u- the use of random violence or apparently random violence but it's providential violence uh in conversion um that's the com- conversations with todd and uh then the rise and fall of circumcision was one that i typed on a cocktail napkin for esquire magazine and i had book offers i had publishing deals after that one which was kind of funny uh, so they didn't understand that it could not become a novel yeah (laughs) uh 
Yeah, it was that was it was funny. And then Gay Dog is one that's never been published. And it's in the vein of conversations with Todd. And I've I uh I it just makes me smile, it makes me laugh. And my it I makes mean, my the title wife, made me laugh. It, it makes my wife do the opposite. Yeah, she's like, please don't publish that. Yeah. It's about an amateur taxidermist. Hello, I'm querying <laughs> my short story. Yeah. Gay dog. Gay dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so it's it's also an O'Connor structure. It's it's um a dark gray story about an ax uh an amateur taxidermist with a porn problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, I'm glad I dug this a little bit further into the spoiler. It's never been published, but it it, it ends um, when he shoots his own toes off with a shotgun. Wow. When he's in the backyard, he's going to try to execute the family dog, and he slips in some dog mess and blasts his toes off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's never, never, never been published. And my wife was like, "Please don't do this. <laughs> please, please." Oh well, I'm like this is coffee flavor with extra coffee. Soon to be on and, Canon Plus and extra, in audio and extra flavor. <laughs> yeah. uh, so okay, so you've uh, we've recommended Flannery if you want to add a little extra coffee to your life. Oh, some other ones. Borges, I guess. Would yeah, be a fun yeah. One. Borges is a little is a little weirder, um, but worth reading. Yeah. He's very worth reading. I think O'Connor is more required. Yeah, I think it's required for people who want to have a palate. So yeah. if if you sure, sure. if somebody said, "Hey, I really I really want to uh, understand Scotch, not as just a drinker, but as a connoisseur, and I want to understand." You know the Highland whiskeys and the Speyside whiskeys, and the, you know yeah. the stuff up in the Orkneys. And I want to understand Isla. And you get them to Isla, and they're like, "Ah, I just don't like peat smoke. I don't like those smoky scotches." I'm like, "That's fine. Like you don't have to, but if you want to actually understand story, narrative, if you really want to get it, if you want to have a broad palate and understand what what the different flavors are, then then you need to." be able to, you know, sip an Isla, you know, a really smoky hard bag and, and understand what's going on in it. And that's kind of where I stick Flannery O'Connor. If yeah. you don't have to love it, you don't have to always go back to it. But if your goal is to understand story and the power of story with more breadth, then O'Connor short fiction is a really important flavor profile to understand and comprehend. Sure. And also the fact that uh, she wrote, she knew so clearly what she was doing, like mystery and manners, that essay yep. collection explains it all. So if you're yep. one of those people who are like, I just don't get it. She's got essays. No, she understands exactly what she's doing with dark grace. And can explain how that connects to aesthetics and the Christian life and yep. why it matters. And, yep. and, and yeah, sure. She's way off on transubstantiation. But, yeah, uh, but so what? So what? So, so was Luther. Yeah. So is everybody. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, and, and I would say there's, there's, one of my favorite terrible movies is Magnolia. And I say terrible movie because it's, it's uh, as far as I know, not filterable and is, is not something, it's just not out there for general consumption. You don't, you don't need to go watch this movie. You know, it's, it's not that. But this, you know, that movie uses a plague of frogs in Beverly Hills, like truly beautifully. Mm. Like just really amazingly. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that O'Connor could do and very few other storytellers could do. Well, it reminds me because when my son is writing stories for school, like a fourth grader, right? Yeah. It, people die in blenders. That's the level yeah. of, 
you yeah. know, violence. But Flannery is able to have a woman killed, gored to death by a bull and have it work. Yep. And the blender didn't work. I had my son, <laughs> yeah. I had my son take it out. <laughs> you're like, son, you're embarrassing me. I'm going to mention this on a podcast. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it is. So I, I think that I, I would never say that people have to read Flannery O'Connor. But anybody who has an aspiration to understand story at a deeper level and to broaden their experience and the the taste palette for the the you know the the taste palette's a great phrase now um their their ability to discern what's going on and why and how and to anticipate and read uh, thematic exploration and and thematic driven plot ultimately yeah um I think bouncing her off of Ernest Hemingway is really useful. Like you can just watch secular versus Christian. Yeah. What's so there's dark grace versus just dark. Yeah. Like the, like violent darkness versus dark grace. And you're watching a man try to present a heroic code to combat the darkness of the world versus a woman who understands the world's built on a heroic code. Yeah. That defeats yeah. the darkness. I mean, no, I, the points I, of contrast are really, really strong. I think it's great stuff. So she's she's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. And if if I were to like list my influences, it would be Woodhouse for his playfulness and his joy, and then Lewis and Tolkien, obviously for all the obvious reasons, and then O'Connor. Yeah. So Flannery O'Connor, P.G. Woodhouse. I need to go to the long fiction and then the now. I, I think I've done all our short stories. I need to go to the long fiction. I gave up the last time I tried. You it know, got so weird. It's you know? not. It's not weird. It's not good. Her long fiction isn't great. Well, Scene, we can't scenes be- are amazing. There are scenes and sequences that are truly amazing. But the novels, she doesn't have the payoff. She can't build the cathedral. She can. She can do the small, powerful thing, and I think that's great. That's her highest and best use. But it is. It is funny to me that she is a top four influence for me, for sure. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's a wrap. Already. See you. If you're a SaaS listener who often makes it to the end of these videos and the end of our podcast, when I start talking, you'll know that I'm often bringing up Canon Plus. So I'm going to let you in a couple seconds watch a video that explains why Canon Plus is the premier Christian streaming service for entertainment, education, and theology. Give it a watch and then please come join us on Canon Plus if you haven't already. Does your streaming content make you a better wife and mother? A better husband and father? Or... When you sit down and pick up the remote, does the content you consume attack you? You fat bastard. Is it at war with everything you say you stand for? Does it make you stronger? Does it make your family stronger? How much darkness streams directly into your home every week? How much do you pay for the privilege of consuming whatever new dark thing Hollywood algorithms have assigned to you? and to your family. Just my two dads and me. It doesn't have to be that way. Canon Plus is building a global platform with one simple goal, to create and deliver great content that will help Christian families grow stronger. Content to encourage, equip, challenge, and inspire. Yes, these times are bleak, but the darkness cannot win for long. Light is far more powerful. With thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, truth-telling documentaries, and curriculum for all ages, Canon Plus wants to help your family laugh, sing, 
learn, and grow stronger together. And we're just getting started. We want the resources we produce to help you become a lighthouse in your own community, armed with courageous joy and faith that burns bright, right alongside millions of others who are just as determined to live in a way that honors God in these dark times. Your own food shouldn't attack you. Not at the table and not gathered with your family on the couch. We are building a true alternative and we can't do it alone. We need committed Christian families to build with us. So consider this your invitation. Pop some corn, grab the blankets, and help us build a streaming platform unlike any other. A platform that will strengthen Christians' mind, body, and soul. We saved you a spot on the couch. Canon Plus. Cancel the darkness. Invite light. If you're a SaaS listener who often makes it to the end of these videos and the end of our podcast, when I start talking, you'll know that I'm often bringing up Canon Plus. So I'm gonna let you in a couple seconds, watch a video that explains why Canon Plus is the premier Christian streaming service for entertainment, education, and theology. Give it a watch and then please come join us on Canon Plus if you haven't already. Does your streaming content make you a better wife and mother? A better husband and father? Or, when you sit down and pick up the remote, does the content you consume attack you? You fat bastard. Is it at war with everything you say you stand for? Does it make you stronger? Does it make your family stronger? How much darkness streams directly into your home every week? How much do you pay for the privilege of consuming whatever new dark thing Hollywood algorithms have assigned to you? and to your family. Just my two dads and me. It doesn't have to be that way. Canon Plus is building a global platform with one simple goal, to create and deliver great content that will help Christian families grow stronger. Content to encourage, equip, challenge, and inspire. Yes, these times are bleak, but the darkness cannot win for long. Light is far more powerful. With thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, truth-telling documentaries, and curriculum for all ages, Canon Plus wants to help your family laugh, sing, learn, and grow stronger together. And we're just getting started. We want the resources we produce to help you become a lighthouse in your own community armed with courageous joy and faith that burns bright, right alongside millions of others who are just as determined to live in a way that honors God in these dark times. Your own food shouldn't attack you. Not at the table, and not gathered with your family on the couch. We are building a true alternative and we can't do it alone. We need committed Christian families to build with us. So consider this your invitation. Pop some corn, grab the blankets, and help us build a streaming platform unlike any other. A platform that will strengthen Christians' mind, body, and soul. We saved you a spot on the couch. Canon Plus. Cancel the darkness. Invite light.